We're starting, as I've said, uh, a new semester, and with it, a new series that we're calling Salt and Light. Uh, the hashtag or the uh, sort of the subtitle, right, would be being different for goodness sake. Okay, being different for goodness sake. Being different for the sake of goodness. In Bible study, as I told you, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is where this language comes from. Speaking to his followers, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And all semester long, we're going to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount and see what exactly being salt and light actually means. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus here and now in 2017 at the University of Vermont or Champlain College here in the city of Burlington? What does it mean to be salt and light um, here, right, and now? What difference, if you want to think of it this way, what difference should our difference make? Okay. It's what we're doing in Bible study, and you saw the days and times listed, so join a small group. Encourage you. You know, you can all think of, um, you can think of RUF as a house, okay, a house with lots of different rooms uh, in them. Right? There's like a living room uh, in the house that is RUF. Um, it's a place of gathering, a place where we can relax, just kind of let our guard down, right? have fun. Um, in some ways, that would symbolize what we do with intramural sports and social events, whether it's a party at our house or going to Champlain Lanes or whatever, right? Just us being together, playing, having fun, right? There's a living room in RUF. There's also a kitchen, right? Kitchen, also a place of gathering, uh, but a place of work, right? A place where people cook things, and they get their hands in their dough, and they learn recipes, and they kind of see how things work together to produce something good. And then they enjoy that, right, around a table, and they talk about it, and they talk to each other. In a lot of ways, the kitchen of RUF is Bible study, right? It's where we gather together, and we gather around God's word, and we work with it. It's interactive, right? And we enjoy. And we, we taste and see that God is good there in the kitchen. Where are we now? Well, literally, right, we're in Living Learning, Living Learning Commons 315, but you can think of this in some ways uh, as a dining room. It's a place where we eat as well, right? I've worked on something at home. I've worked in the kitchen, as it were, to prepare, like looking at Jeremiah 29. I've prepared something for you. I want to serve it to you. I want you to taste it. I want you to enjoy it. See that God is good and invite other people to do the same. Like, you've got to taste this. You've got to try this, okay? Um, this is a dining room. It's a place of love, a place of laughter, of song, um, of feasting together. So I'm glad that you're here. In this dining room, in large group, we're going to be exploring this same concept or the same idea as salt and light, but we're going to come at it from a different angle. We're looking at Jeremiah 29, 29 tonight, but for the rest of the semester, we're going to look at the lives of two people. Uh, a man named Daniel and a woman named Esther. Uh, each week, uh, we're going to focus on them. Daniel, when we first meet him, which will be next week, is a 16 or 17-year-old uh, you know, college student. He's been pulled from his home, and he's been enrolled in the nation's top university. You could call it Babylon U. Okay? So you will have a lot in common with him. Uh, Esther, when we first meet her, she's a teenager who's been kidnapped from her home and forced into sex slavery. Um, both of them lived during a, a period of time 
um, in, in Israel's history called the exile. Okay? You saw that word um, pop up a couple of times uh, in the text that you're looking at tonight. In verse 1, uh, in verse 4, um, and so on. Right? In verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What is this? Uh, what is this uh, thing called uh, the exile? It's kind of a low water point in the nation's history. Um, the people of Israel have actually been kicked out of their home. Um, their cities have been attacked, right? Jerusalem has fallen. And they are also, in some ways, the, the country has been taken hostage and brought uh, to Babylon. How or why? Like, why did this happen? Why did God send uh, the people um, into exile? It's a question that we could spend a long time answering. I'm not going to. I'm going to give you a two-minute version, okay? I'm going to try and summarize in like two minutes. Uh, pretty much the history of Israel all the way from the time of Abraham to the exile, just so you understand, so you have some context of what's happening here. Okay, the nation of Israel, like the people of God, really starts with a man named Abraham. Technically, we could go back to Adam, but this is like the two-minute version, not the three-minute version, okay? So Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob. Okay, and God renames that man named Jacob, and he gives him the name Israel. Okay, so Israel is Jacob and his family. Okay, Jacob has 12 sons. Uh, you might have heard of one named Joseph. Okay, and J- Joseph is, ends up in Egypt as a slave, and eventually Israel, the whole family right, of Israel, the whole family of Jacob, uh, ends up in Egypt. And Joseph takes care of them. They live there, they die there, and things are okay for a little bit, but a new king comes into power. Right? Pharaoh comes into power, and he subjects this entire family uh, puts them all into slavery. Jacob's family is in slavery for some 400 years. 400 years. That's longer than the United States has been a country. Okay? They're there for 400 years. All this time, this family is multiplying. It's growing. So it's not just a family anymore. I mean, we're talking about an entire people group. We know them now as the Israelites. Okay? In around 1400 B.C., God raises up a man named Moses who frees the Israelites and he leads them out of bondage. It's a story famously told in a book of the Bible called the Exodus. Okay, the Exodus in so many, in a lot of ways, is like that nation's 4th of July. It really is the birth of their nation. And at its founding, God gives this newly liberated people a constitution of sorts, which we know as the Ten Commandments. In a lot of ways, that's their charter. It's their constitution saying, these are the rules that we're going to live by. This is, uh, this, is, um, this is the banner under which we are going to live. God tells them that you are to be different from your neighbors. You are to be different, in a lot of ways, for goodness sake. You are to live lives of goodness and beauty. And in living lives of goodness and beauty, you are going to show and you are going to tell your neighbors the kind of God that I am. Showing and telling. In Deuteronomy 4.6, it's an interesting passage. Moses writes, keep these laws and do them. 
For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to them as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? In so many words, friends, they were supposed to be a light. The people of Israel were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews around them. So that the non-Jews would see him and be like, that's a good God. We want to be a part of that family too. With the giving of this law, there are blessings. If you do this, it's going to go well for you, as well as some curses. If you disobey, if you run to other gods, your lives will fall apart, and so will this nation, and so on. You can kind of see where this is going. In 10.10... I'm almost done. I promise you. I'm seeing the glaze coming over. I promise you. We're going to get to this soon. In 1010, okay? God sets a king named David. You've heard of David over the 12 tribes of Israel. And David rules over a united kingdom. And so does his son Solomon. But in the year 930 BC, there is a civil war. Okay? And the country splits into two. Into north and south. It's kind of similar to our own Right country, a civil war. There's ten tribes in the north. There's two tribes in the south. The north is never faithful to God. Right off the bat, disobedient, and their their country goes down the tubes. And in 722, God sends the Assyrians to knock them out. Okay, to take them out. The south has its fits and starts of faithfulness, but in the end, it too goes the way of the northern kingdom. So God sends the Babylonians. To defeat them. And in the year 587, okay, the capital city of Jerusalem falls, and the best and the brightest of that nation are sent into exile. Okay, they're taken into captivity. There are two ways that you can destroy a people. The first way is the way of the Assyrians. When the Assyrians went in, they went in with a sword and they pretty much killed everything and everyone. And like burned everything to the ground. It's a pretty obvious way to destroy people. The Babylonians realized, look, we can destroy people in a way that's a little bit more cost efficient and a little less bloody. We don't have to kill everybody. We don't have to kill all the Israelites to destroy the Israelites. We can bring them to our country and make them Babylonians. We can enroll them in, our, in, their, in the top universities and we can indoctrinate them culturally and socially, right? We can go after their hearts and their minds. We can make them forget who they are and where they've come from. Assimilate them intellectually, socially, culturally, and spiritually so that the community loses its ability to have its own distinctive understanding and interpretation of the world. So that within a couple of generations... They're gone. They want the jobs. They want the power. They want all the money, just like we do. For all intents and purposes, they are not Israelites anymore. They've become Babylonians. They look like us. They talk like us. They dress like us. They're us. 
This is the Babylonian way, right, of destroying the people. And this brings us to Jeremiah 29. I totally lied to you. That's not two minutes. That was more like five. (laughs) I'm sorry. But that was a crash course in Old Testament. You're like, Um, that really is the story of the Old Testament. Okay, Jeremiah 29. If you don't mind, just, just put that up for us so we can see. You have it before you. Jeremiah is a prophet, okay? He's a truth teller who's living during the time of the Babylonian invasion and exile. He's in Jerusalem when the artillery is going off and the bombs are dropping, as it were. Like, he sees it all, okay? And he is writing this letter to a bunch of Israel's best and brightest who've been taken out. Some 10,000 people, right, who've been taken out of Jerusalem and sent to Babylon. And the, the gist of this letter is that there are essentially two ways for you not to live in exile. There are two ways for you here in this room not to live in a place that is either hostile or indifferent to your faith which is what Babylon was to the Israelites. Hostile, indifferent. In a lot of ways, UVM um, is hostile or indifferent right, to the claims of Christ. Two ways not to live, one way to live. Before we go in, and we actually hit these points, two ways not to live, one way to live, I just ought to give a shout out. A lot of what I'm telling you tonight, it's not just like, I didn't come up with all of this stuff. I mean, I'm standing on or sitting on the shoulders of great men who've studied this and talked about it. Tim Keller is one. He's a pastor in New York City. There's a guy named Dick Kyes who wrote a book called Chameleon Christianity. There's actually um, a colleague of mine. His name's Luke Meadma. He's an RUF campus minister at Northwestern, and he's helped me a lot to think through some of these things. So just want you to know that. But first, how not to live in exile how not to live at UVM. It's the way of the chameleon. Okay? It's the Babylonian way. It's the way I've described to you already. Uh, the way of assimilation. Okay? The way not to live here is to adopt wholesale the values and the trappings of the, cultural, of the culture around you so that you lose all distinctiveness. Um, It's blending in and becoming just like everyone uh, else around you. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he calls this uh, losing your saltiness. Uh, And in Dick Kaiser's book, he calls this uh, chameleon Christianity. Can you throw up that picture? Oh, it's okay. Chameleon. All right. Chameleons, um, as you probably know, they change their colors to blend in um, with their surroundings. It's a defensive mechanism. Right? They do this uh, so as not to be noticed. Changing colors um, uh, as a way so as not to uh, stand out, uh, so as not to be attacked. Right? They just want to fade into the background. There were pressures for the Israelites to do this, okay, to blend in with the cultural uh, around them. 
And there are tremendous pressures for you. If you are a Christian at UVM, there are tremendous pressures for you to do the same thing here. For many of you, the response you get when people learn that you are a Christian is either you are weird, you are wrong, or you're not wanted. Um, I know this person. Okay, I've experienced that. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. Um, so, uh, for some of you, um, if you're, if you're uh, not a Christian, right? Um, if, if you're seeking, uh, maybe you're uh, considering the claims of Jesus, uh, you find uh, Jesus to be super compelling. Um, that the gospel is attractive, that this idea of a, a God who loves his people so much that he's willing to enter into the story uh, and to take on flesh and to die for us in order to save us, there's something that's incredibly poignant and gripping about that. Um, and perhaps you've felt that too, right? You, 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 you feel its pull. But when it comes time to think, like, will I identify as a Christian, there's a moment of hesitancy or pause. And I've sat with many of you in the, the cafeteria um, right next to New World Tortilla and Ben and Jerry's having this conversation, or in Brennan's, what will my family think if I become a Christian? Or what will my friends say if I become a Christian? You sense rightly, okay, that if you begin to follow Jesus, you will be different. Following Jesus ought to make you different. But you are afraid of standing out, right, for attracting attention. And so you, like the Christians in this room, are tempted to blend in, right? There are all sorts of ways for you to do this here. When it comes to sex, when it comes to drugs, when it comes to alcohol, does your life mirror the lives of those around you who do not share your beliefs? Do you tell dirty jokes? Do you laugh at them? Do you gossip? Are you a backbiter? Do you cheat on exams? Are you one person here in this room when you're with all your friends in RUF and then a completely different person when you're hanging out with people on your floor or your roommates or the guys on the team? Are you two different people? Are you simply taking on the colors of whatever environment you are in. Jeremiah is saying, don't do this. God is saying, don't do this. Don't lose your distinctiveness. Don't lose your saltiness. In fact, it's precisely because you are different. It's precisely because you are different that you can actually make a difference. I shot you an email last week. It's from a sign in Pingala Cafe. 
No one influenced the world by trying to be just like it. It's kind of the same idea, right? It's actually because you are different that you actually have something to say. It's because you are different that you can be a force for healing and life and redemption in this place. So don't throw that away. That's a precious commodity. Don't throw that away. Okay? Communion Christianity is not the way to live. It wasn't for the Israelites then. It's not for you now. Okay, this just brings us uh, to the second point. Okay? How not to live in exile. How not to follow Jesus at UVM. Okay? And it's the way of the false prophets. The way of the muskox. Okay? In Jeremiah, here, let's see it. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners uh, who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, uh, declares the Lord. Okay, what is Jeremiah talking about? Like, what is God talking about? He's actually referring to chapter 28, the chapter right before this, where a prophet named Hananiah is writing to the people of Israel. And he's essentially saying, look, this is all going to be over in two years. God is going to come. He's going to crush the Babylonians. We're going to take all their goods and we're going to go back and we're going to party back in Jerusalem within two years. So just ride this wave out. Don't get involved with Babylonian society. Have as little contact with them as possible. Screw them, right? Because in two years, we're going to own them. Hananiah in that chapter, right, the false prophet, represents the great temptation to huddle up, right, to avoid the culture that you are in and to be hostile towards it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would call this hiding your light. And in that book, uh, Chameleon Christianity, Dick Kais calls this being a muskox. Okay? Why does he call it muskox uh, Christianity? Musk oxen are uh, animals that live in the Arctic. Extreme cold conditions, which it used to feel like in Vermont. It hasn't as of late, right? But they live in the extreme cold. And for protection from the elements as well as from predators, muskox form a huddle. Uh, they, they circle up. They put their young in the middle and they get in real close as so as to keep warm. And then they stick their horns out, saying in some ways, don't mess with us. Leave us alone. Okay, from a Christian perspective, Being a muskox means isolating yourself from the culture at large. It's not getting involved at UVM. It's finding fellowship only with those in your tribe. It would be, um, well, going to a Bible study on Monday, coming to large group on Tuesday going to a missions conference on Wednesday, uh, hanging out with my Christian friends on Thursday, like 
filling up your calendar with nothing but Christian activities and associating only with those who share your beliefs. Right? That's what being a muskox is. If you find yourself, like as you look at your schedule, you're like, wow, the only people that I hang out with are people who share my belief system. Odds are you're probably acting like a muskox. Okay? Why is this a problem? It's a problem because God has not God has blessed you to be a blessing. God wants you to come into contact with the other, to be a light to those around you, to be a force of good in the community in which you live. Right? To exert a positive and healthy and redemptive influence on the lives of those around you. He has blessed you, but he doesn't want the blessings to stop with you, to hoard it, right? I mean, it's great news that Jesus, that God loves you, that Jesus came to die to save you, right? That you have the hope of heaven. I mean, that's profoundly good news. But it's not just good news for you, it's good news for your roommates and for the students that you sit next to in class, for the staff and faculty of the school. It's good news for everyone. So if all you do is associate with those with, who share your belief system, how are they going to hear it? Do you see what I'm driving here? That's why I want, R- I want RUF to, like, it's important that you hear the gospel, right? It's important that you grow in it. That's why I want you to be here, but I don't want this to be your everything. Enjoy the rooms of this house. Enjoy the living room. Enjoy the kitchen. Enjoy the fellowship of this dining room. Come. Be fed, but let's share. Right? Let's pass the plate. Let's make sure others get to enjoy too. Okay? Two ways not to live. Okay? Chameleons look exactly like their surroundings. They blend right in. They lose their distinctiveness here. The muskox, well, they form just a spiritual enclave at this campus with little or no contact with those who are different. I would say this is probably the thing that we need to most be aware of as a, as a, as a club, right? As a, as a community here, I'm less afraid of, I mean, I'm concerned. I, I don't want you to lose your saltiness, but we as a, as a group have got to fight this tendency to just be like, hey, we're just here to protect our own, okay? The, the third way, the way that God wants us to be is the way of salt and light. Not chameleons, not muskox. He wants us to be salt and light. Okay. Jeremiah presents this third way of being, living, in verses 5 and 7 of chapter 29. Okay. He says there, okay, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Don't decrease. But seek the welfare of the city, or you could say seek the welfare of the campus, right? Where I've sent you. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Let's unpack this quickly, okay? What does it mean... What are the implications when, when God says build houses and live in them? Right? Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
In so many words, he's saying, make this your home. Make UVM your home. And this is where you're living, right? See it that way, right? See this as a place where you're not just like, where you are living out your life. Don't say, I'm only here for four years or I'm only here for one more semester. Why should I bother? No, I treat this as your home. If you're a first year, invest. Invest in this community. That's RUF. Invest in this community that is the University of Vermont. Right? Build relationships. Plant roots here. Plant gardens. To plant a garden is to create something that might exist with you when you leave. Right? Build something that is good and beautiful and can bring life and nourishment to other people that might exist after you go and that somebody else could come and take tend after you. Right? Invest here. If you are a, a freshman, invest in this community. If you're a senior, invest in freshmen. Right? Don't just see this as like, I'm on my way out. There's still time for you to build houses, to live in them, to plant gardens, to eat their produce. It's not just something, it's in some ways it's to say I'm planting something that I get to enjoy too. It's not, it's for me, but it's for them, right, as well. Secondly, multiply there. Don't decrease. In other words, don't cease to be Israelites. Don't let your community diminish. Don't let it decrease. Actually, would that the Israelites would increase in number in captivity. Okay? Why? Why is that important? Jeremiah rightly recognizes that community is necessary for helping people to resist uh, becoming chameleons. Dick Kyes writes, So often Christians turn into chameleons from being too alone. Having no other people or like mind near them, they gradually start to think that their dissonant beliefs are crazy, and so they begin to blend in. An isolated individual is too weak to stand or maintain perspective. We need the support and accountability of others, not just for our own Christian survival, but to be salt and light into our society. Okay, we need each other. Okay? We need community. How is this community grow? How is this community going to increase? It's not the way that you saw there, right? It's not because of marriage and having kids, right? We don't want to see RUF grow because you're having kids, okay? <laughs> but we do want to see it grow. If it's not going to grow through, right, procreation, the only way this community is going to grow is by invitation. It's the only way. It's going to be a consequence of you being hospitable. The way that we are going to increase is going to, it's going to happen when you invite your friends to taste and see that God is good. Or I belong to this thing called RUF, that it's a place where we, you know, it's a safe place where we can explore Christianity, talk about spirituality, and that's not dumb where our questions are taken seriously and we don't assume whether you're a believer or not. Like, come. Uh, like, 
everybody, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their doubts, is welcome here. When, when you begin to own that, and that becomes uh, important to you, that's when we'll see RUF grow. Okay? And we need each other. We want the community to grow not as a community of muskox. We want this to be a community that just doesn't look for its own, but is concerned for the welfare of all. And that brings me to point number three, and our final point. Hmm? Um, verse 7 seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare okay this word welfare is actually the Hebrew word shalom and that word shalom is a really special word it doesn't mean just peace it's much bigger and better than that shalom in Hebrew connotes universal flourishing it's a word that communicates wholeness, delight, everything in its right place, the way it is supposed to be. You know, I want you to imagine what this university would look like if it wasn't, when it was at its best. What is the best version of the University of Vermont? What does this university look like with no sin, no brokenness, no heartache, loneliness, drug abuse, sex abuse, apathy, despair. What does it look like when it's, it's just beautiful? Not just the campus, right? It's, but relationships. Classes. You're excited. I mean... For you to seek the shalom of UVM is to begin to dream that and then be, to begin to pursue it incrementally, slowly but surely. You know, there are positive and negative aspects to this, okay? Just as salt and light, right? Like salt prevents against decay, right? It's a preservative. It adds flavor. Light exposes darkness, evil. Part of this is to expose what's wrong with this university. It's to expose areas of brokenness and injustice. It's to combat it. It's part of what it means to seek the welfare. But you can use salt and light to draw out flavor too and to highlight, to spotlight what is good. Right? Like this is good. You gotta like focus on this. Pay attention to this. Part of what this means is to identify clubs around you that are doing really good work on this campus. What are other organizations at UVM that are doing really good things? And how can we as RUF cheerlead them and help them accomplish their mission? You know? Not just like, hey, come and do what RUF is doing. I mean, that would kind of be muskox Christianity. No. Let's focus on, too, like, what are other people that are doing good on this campus and good in this city and find ways where we can partner with them and put our muscle behind what they're doing, right? That's part of what it means to seek the shalom of this campus. In this model, we are engaged with the culture. We're engaged with the campus. 
and we work with others in ways that reveal the distinctive values of God's kingdom. Okay? We're to be in it, but not of it. Um, to be culturally competent, but to also be different in ways in which we regard money, relationships, sex, human life, and so on. I'm going to conclude. We'll sing a song and break. Okay. Two ways not to live. God does not want us to assimilate. He does not want us to tribalize. He wants us to be salt and light. We've got an entire semester, friends, where we can flush this out. It's a conversation that's starting tonight. I apologize for being a little bit long with you. Okay. But it's a conversation that's starting tonight. It's going to carry us through the semester. I want to t- let's talk a lot. He, like there will be opportunities for us to discuss things here at Bible study over coffee, over popcorn, Brennan's, wherever, right? But I'm, I want to invite you in, and I hope that you will invite others in to be part of this conversation as well. It's an important one, okay? I'm going to pray.